All right, take your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter 2. Now let me explain to you kind of my heart. I, I, um, several months ago, um, I think it's been about probably four months ago, three months ago, something like that, um, there was a book I was familiar with, um, but I didn't have a copy of it. And um, a pastor friend of mine uh, lovingly found me a copy and gave me a copy. It was a book by a man named Kenneth Wiest, and uh, it was called From Heaven's Glory. Kenneth Wiest is a Greek scholar. Matter of fact, um, a lot of seminaries use his material to help teach people um, Greek classes. Um, he's wrote uh, textbooks on how to uh, uh, read and, and articulate Greek. And so he's a Greek, Greek scholar. Now, I believe this in my heart of hearts. I believe we always have to have a teachable heart. Y'all agree with that? Say amen. Now, when I read that little book, he had a section in that book on Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, 7, 8, and 9. And when I read that, I realized something. As much as I've studied that passage, I realized that I didn't have a clue the depth of what that passage was saying. And God began to literally just begin to open up some things to me. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I took the take of that passage. If, if I could disprove him, then I could prove myself right. Guess what? I couldn't do it. And so I had to come to the place of realizing there was a lot of things about this passage that I really did not understand or know. And so God began to teach me. Now, I've ended up reading this about three or four times now, and, uh, and I, I, I started praying back when I read it the first time that Lord would give me the privilege to be able to take this passage now in light of what I understand about it and be able to proclaim it unto y'all. And uh, the Lord finally gave me liberty to do that. So, uh, Wednesday night, I began by going through uh, Philippians 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 um, throughout this little story or this little uh, season leading up to Christmas. Now, here's the thing. I, I dealt with verses 1 through 4 Wednesday night to set the context of the passage. Now, I want to encourage you, if you were not here Wednesday night or you were in Awanas or with youth or whatever it may be, I want to encourage you, please go back and listen to that if you have not already. But yet at the same time, we're going to begin this morning in verse 5. We're going to look at verse 5, 6, and the first phrase of verse 7 and then tonight, we're going to come back and look at the rest of verse 7 and verse 8. And so if you would, please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Notice what it says beginning in verse number 5. He says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Now, that's all we're going to get to this morning. So let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your word. Father, thank you for what you've done in the early service. And Father, looking forward to seeing what you're going to do in this service. Glorify yourself, manifest yourself as we look at this text together. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen. You may be seated. I've entitled this Christmas through the eyes of Christ. Now, you say, what do you mean by that? Well, listen, when we think of Christmas, we look backwards. And so we look back to the day that the Lord Jesus was born of a virgin. 
And we look back and we celebrate that day that Christ became man, dwelt upon the earth, and would die for our sins. But how did Christ see Christmas? In other words, not looking back of what happened, but how did Christ see Christmas looking forward to what was going to happen? Now you say, what do you mean by that? Well, think about it. How many of you agree Christ knew from the fount before there ever was a was that he was going to have to become, be born of a virgin and die on a cross? Would you agree with that? Say amen. All right, so how did Christ see that for all eternity past until the day that he was birthed in a virgin's womb? How did Christ see that day as being or how did he see it as far as what was going to transpire? That's what I want us to look at in this passage. Because I want to tell you something. To get it from that perspective will give you a fresh new look on what really took place at Christmas. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've come to realize I didn't have a, even a half of a clue of what really took place. And this is something that God has really used to help me. Now, I want you to look first at the example of his person. The example of his person. Now, he uses this phrase in verse 5, let this mind be in you. Now, the key that you need to see there is the word this because it tells us the context. So what is this mind? Well, the mind he's already spoken of in verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4 deals with unity, how to have unity one with another. And he uses these phrases in verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you. By the way, which also was in Christ Jesus. In other words, this mind of setting aside yourself for the sake of others, setting aside yourself to be a servant and to be in oneness with others. And so what Paul does is he gives this admonition in verse 1 through 4, and then he gives four examples in Philippians 2 to show us what that looks like. Now, the only one we're going to look at in this study is the example of Christ Jesus, and that's in verses 5 through verses 11. Now, I want you to see this with me just a minute. The first thing is this. It's a command. Notice what he says here. He says, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Notice the command concerning the mind. He doesn't say get this mind. He says let this mind. Now, there's a big difference between the two because to get something implies I don't have it. To let something implies I do have it, but I need to use it. So in other words, when God saved you, did you get all of the person of Christ Jesus? All right, so if you got all the person of Christ Jesus, did you get the mind of Christ? So if you got the mind of Christ, then why in the world do we pray, well, I need to get the mind of Christ on this issue? In other words, what it's saying here is let what you already have become reality. In other words, let the thinking that is true of Christ be the thinking that is true of you. And this is a command that he gives here. And this command is very, very important for us to understand because what it's saying is that when you think of unity and you think of humbling yourselves and you think of esteeming others better than yourself, then there's no better place to look than in the way the Lord Jesus thought. And can I tell you something? He absolutely never put self above anyone else. Now, 
Notice the emphasis of this command. Now, if you underline in your Bibles, I'm going to challenge you to underline this. Look at that little word, in you. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, you, you've been with me long enough to know that that little word means to be at rest in. So here's the way it reads in the original. He says, as a command, imperative command, let this mind, referring back to verse 1, 2, 3, and 4, let this mind be at rest in you that was also at rest in the Lord Jesus. So in other words, it doesn't mean that I am to forcibly, against my will, try to conform myself to these truths. No, what it means is this, that I allow Christ, as the mind of Christ becomes reality in my life, I allow Christ to conform me, shape me, whereby I'm only at rest and thinking in the terms of unity as Christ thought. So let me put it to you another way. If the whole emphasis of the passage is unity with others, then the picture is this. Let it be in your life that the only way you're restful is because you're in unity with other people. The only way you're restful is because you know that you set aside self and you thought of others above yourself. Now, I want to tell you this. You say, well, preacher, I'm not there. Well, guess what? We're all growing in grace. And, amen? We're all growing in grace. But I want you to listen to me. This is the imperative command of this passage. Let at rest in you. Now, let me ask you a question. When you're at home, and you're just there with your family, nobody else is there, you don't have any guests, you don't have any visitors, how many of you agree that you kick your shoes off and you put your feet up wherever you want to put your feet up and you can be at rest in peace? Would you agree with that? Say amen. That's the idea of this word. That what allows you to be at that kind of state of rest is that you begin thinking like he thinks in regards to unity and in regards to others and in regards to yourself. And that's what this passage is saying. Now, this is the command concerning the mind. Now, what he's going to do in just a moment is he's going to unpack exactly what this way of thinking looked like in the person of Christ Jesus. But notice the second part of this example of his person, the conformity to the Messiah. In other words, what he does in this passage is if he says, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, what he's saying is we first must discover what this way of thinking was in Christ that God can conform you to be thinking like he thinks. So the picture is this. The Lord, through the Holy Spirit, through Paul, he takes his finger and he places it on two aspects of the Lord Jesus. First thing, he points his finger to the sovereignty of God's deity. How many of you agree today Jesus Christ is God, never ever ceased to be God? All right, so now he puts his finger on that truth. But then he puts his finger not only on that truth, but on the humility of Christ. That Christ, as God, but we were willing to become man, and as man, suffer a death on a cross to be obedient to God, that what? You and I could be redeemed. So let me ask you a question. Did Christ have any thought of self in going to the cross? So in other words, he knew that the outflow of his dying, burial, and resurrection 
would be for the sake of you and I. Obedient to the Father, first and foremost, but the outflow being putting others above himself. Now you say, well, preacher, what did he really put above himself? Well, I'm going to promise you this. When we get through this passage this morning and tonight, you're going to have a whole different perspective on exactly what it means when it says Christ humbled himself. I promise you that. All right, so let's look at this together. I want you to see this because this is so important for us to understand. The essence of his person. Now, here's what it says in verse 6. Who being in the form of God. Now, when I use that word form, and I say to you, well, listen, I want you to form something. What am I saying? I want you to shape something. I want you to take this and I want you to form it into this uh, particular thing. What I'm saying to you is I want you to shape something in such a way that it becomes like what you're intending it to become. That's not what this word means here when it says Christ being in the form of God. What does it mean? Well, it speaks of the essence of who he is in his inward person. In other words, in Christ always, never cease, was the inward nature and character of a holy God. So in other words, when it says that he's in the form of God, what it means is that on the inside of Christ, this inward expression of deity was this, that in every way, shape, and form, God's nature, God's character was always completely and perfectly in the person of the Lord Jesus. So what's in you, what's going to be true of you? So if you want to know who Christ was as God, here's who he was. He was the man Christ Jesus who never ceased to be God, but as man had the essence of all of God's nature and all of God's character living within him. Therefore, he never thought outside of the confines of how God would have thought. He never lived outside the confines of how God would have lived. He never loved outside the confines of how God would love. He never treated anybody outside of the confines of how God would treat them. In other words, every aspect of the Lord Jesus was true about God because it was true about him. So that's what it means, that in the form of God. So you have this inward expression of deity. Now, as I said a minute ago, if the inward expression of deity is the nature and character of God, then what's the outward expression going to be? The nature and character of God. So let me ask you a question. When you saw Jesus, who did you see? You saw the Father. So when the Lord Jesus walked up on this earth, and manifested his love towards others, what kind of love did he manifest? Well, God's love. I mean, when you saw the Lord Jesus walking in peace, whose peace was he manifesting? God's peace. In other words, the joy of God was manifested through Christ. The, 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 the absolute wisdom of God was manifested through Christ. The holiness of God was manifested through Christ. So here's the picture. The picture is that Christ, being God in the form of God, one with God, in his essence, in his nature, in his deity, here's the reality. He expressed who he really was. Now let's apply this. 
So if Christ Jesus always contains the nature of God, and he came alive in you when God saved you, what should come out of you? Who God is. In other words, when I am willing to walk in this mind, which was also in Christ Jesus, then I'm going to walk in a way where it's not going to be self that comes to the forefront. It's not going to be self that I'm concerned about what man sees. The only thing I'm going to be at rest in is this, that people see the character and nature of the Lord. Because that's who's him in him who is in you. You see, this is the picture here. So, let's apply this. So, if I'm going to walk in the character and nature of the one that is in me, is it going to change how I deal with other people? Am I going to be more patient? All right, let's put this to the test. Have you ever had somebody... That when you're around them, it's like somebody taking a needle and just doing this. Okay? Now, how do we respond to that? Well, how we respond says a lot about who we are. So, in other words, if I'm at rest in the way he thinks, then what's going to happen is the nature and character of Christ is going to come out of me instead of me coming out of me. Because, listen, if it's me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to avoid them. I'm not going to give them time of day. I, I mean, I'm going to do whatever I can to get away from them. But see, it's not me anymore. I gave up those rights when God saved me. So now I, I live in the reality of who he is, not who I am. And this is what was true of Christ. And, and what it means is that Christ always, inwardly and outwardly, expressed deity. Jesus would say it this way, John 10, verse 30, I and my Father are one. How many, remember when I've shared with this before you, the disciples came at the Lord and said, hey, listen, you always talk about the Father. Show us the Father and it'll suffice us. You remember what the Lord Jesus said? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen what? The Father. In other words, what have you seen of me that does not look like him? You've never been a time you've seen anything of me that don't look like him. And listen, this was the sinless perfection of the Lord Jesus because he lived out of the nature of a divine God that lived within him. This is his nature. Now, watch this with me. So it says here in verse number 6, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've taught this phrase wrong for over 15, 20 years. What I thought this phrase meant is not what it meant. And I've come to realize what it truly means. I've always taught it this way. When it says, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, I've always taught it that Christ thought it not something, his oneness, his equality with God, as something that he obtained unlawfully. That's not what this is saying at all. There's a, two definitions for this word robbery. One of the definitions is this. The definition that I believe is, is true to this passage is a definition that would describe it in this way. 
that one who would, would grasp at or retain something at all costs or all hazards. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. You have in this passage where it says, he thought it wrought robbery to be equal with God. You have first the wonder of Christ. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, think about it. If he was equal with God, one with God, in other words, never ceased to be God, is it not a wonder that he could be 100% God and at the same time 100% man? You say, how's that possible? Well, listen, if you can explain it, you're better off than I am. Because I think that's one of those things, there's no explanation for it, but just trusting God in it. I mean, Jesus Christ never, ever ceased to be 100% God, and at the same time, he never, ever ceased to be 100% man while he walked up on this earth for 33 and a half years. So that's the wonder of this passage. But I want you to see the willingness of Christ here. Because this, this definition that you come from, this word robbery, really speaks to the willingness of Christ, specifically in the motivation of Christ. Because if you take this understanding of, of this something to be grasped at or retained at all hazards, then here's how this passage would read. Look what it says. It says, the, thought it not robbery or thought it not being something that he had obtained and would not relinquish. At any cost. In other words, if Christ saw this equality or this expression of the glory and the deity of God as something that he had obtained to never, ever let go of, let me tell you something. He would have never, ever became man. He would have never veiled that glory in humanity. In other words, the willingness of Christ was this. His motivation was this, that if it needed be, that he would lay aside being able to veil the complete glory of God, he would lay it aside, veiling himself as man for the purpose of God the Father accomplishing his perfect will in, in atoning for our sins. So how did Christ see Christmas before it ever was? Christ saw Christmas in this way, that I'm willing, as the Son of God, in obedience to God the Father, to lay aside by taking up my humanity, veiling the deity of my glory, that I as man could die for man, that man could be atoned for in their sin. Do y'all see what I'm saying here? See, we just look, well, he was born of a virgin. He walked up on this earth. He died. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, I got news for you. If you look at it through the eyes of Christ, it's much deeper than that. It was the consciousness to know. The one who had done nothing but ever reveal the full glory of God would be willing to relinquish that glory that man could be redeemed. This is how Christ saw Christmas. Now, Kenneth Wiest said it this way, and I want to quote him. Our Lord did not think the being or the equality with God in the expression of the glory of God's divine essence, a prize, to be grasped at and retained at all hazards. Therefore, he was willing to relinquish or veil that glory by becoming man 
And this is the epitome of humility. So let me ask you a question. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. So if Christ was willing to lay down that privilege, that you and I could be redeemed, what are you willing to lay aside? That those around you could be saved. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Well, let me show you not only the motivation of Christ and his willingness, but the mindset of Christ. So if the mindset of Christ was to humble himself, if the mindset of Christ was to relinquish or veil the glory which he had always demonstrated, then what was the mindset of Christ? Well, it was never to put himself or to exalt himself as man. But it was what? To humble himself that man who was sinful could be saved. Do you understand that Christ never knew a moment before the birth in a virgin's womb, where he had never, ever, one time, not fully revealed the whole glory of God. There had never been a time, Christ knew, where the fullness of the glory of God was revealed through him and all his glory. Remember, when we get to heaven, what does it say? There'll be no need of a moon, no need of a sun, no need of stars, no need of light. Why? Because the glory of the Lord will fill the place. That's what heaven was like before he became birth. It's what heaven's going to be like when you get there. In other words, the full glory of God was always every moment of every moment of every moment of eternity being expressed through the person of the Lord Jesus. And Christ was willing to allow that to be veiled, relinquished, lay aside, just for the simple purpose that you could be redeemed. That's how Christ saw Christmas before it ever was. All right, well, listen. Let me show you something else. Not only do you see the equality of his person, but the emptying of his person. Watch this with me in verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. Now, here's the thing. This word made himself means to empty himself. It's a phrase that has one that is willing to lay aside his rights. And the Lord Jesus was willing to lay aside his rights as the revelation of the complete glory of deity to become man. Now, watch this with me. To understand what this phrase means, to be made of no reputation, we have to understand what Christ knew before and what Christ experienced after the birth. So what did Christ know before? Well, nothing more and nothing less than a heavenly honor. How many of you agree that every moment of every 
moment, of every second, of every minute of eternity before Bethlehem, there was never a moment where Christ Jesus was not being exalted, praised, glorified by the angelic host. Every moment it was what? Worthy, 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 worthy. Every moment, what was it? Christ was being exalted as Lord. Christ was being exalted as God. Christ was being praised. Songs were being sung. Every moment, it was one act of praise to another act of praise to another act of praise to another act of praise. This is all Christ knew before he was born upon this earth. He didn't know anything else. So exactly what did he lay aside? He laid aside this heavenly honor that all he had known was praise and worship and adoration. And he came and was born of a virgin woman. And born of a virgin woman, he was born into this world. And being born into this world, watch what happened. A heavenly honor turned into an earthly hatred. And now all of a sudden, the Lord Jesus, who fully expressed the glory of deity before the angelic host, and they praised him, and they worshipped him. Worthy, O Lord, worthy, O Lord. And now he comes to earth, and he begins to express the character and nature of God through how he loved man, how he served man, how he washed their feet, how he did all these things, how he showed forth the joy and the peace and the long-suffering of God, the mercy of God. He showed forth every characteristic of God. And what did man do in turn? Worthy, worthy. No, crucify him, crucify him. He laid down the honor of heaven to receive the contempt, the anger, the bitterness, the murderous eyes of man. So how did the Lord see Christmas before it came? Did he see it in the same light of heavenly honor? Oh, no. He knew that to obey his Father would come contempt, riling, reviling, spitting, plucking of the beard. Listen, they called him Beelzebub. They called him a demon. This is what it means when it says to become of no reputation. Here was a man that for every second of eternity only used praise, who became a man for 33 and a half years that would come to only know contempt. Give us Barabbas, that murderous thief. Crucify Christ. That tells you what the world thought of him. Let this mind be in you. That was in rest in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What concerns you more? What man thinks about you? Or what God thinks about you?
He made himself. What does that mean? He willingly submitted to. Leaving heavenly honor behind. For earthly hatred. Willingly. You say, preacher, why in the world would he do that? Because he never esteemed himself above others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let me prove this to you somewhere else in Scripture. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Now, I'm going to make another confession. Are you all ready? Say amen. I've taught this wrong for, six, for 20 years. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. How many of you glad for that? Say amen. But now here it is. Here's what I've taught wrong for so long who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That for the joy that was set before him. Here's the way I've always taught it. Christ knowing the joy that would come after his death, burial, and resurrection when man would come to the saving knowledge of, of himself and be reconciled to a holy God, Christ knowing the after effects of all that he would do through Calvary, he, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Not what the passage is saying at all. Look at that word for. Here's what I missed about this passage all these years. I never looked up the little three-letter word, three word for. I've looked up probably every other word in that verse, but never looked up that little word for. It's only used a handful of times in the New Testament, and every time it's used, it's used as a contrasting term. It's translated this way, instead of. Now you say, preacher, where's an example of that? Well, I'm glad you... Y'all ask some good questions. Y'all say amen. Luke chapter 11, verse 11. Let me show it to you. Here's where this word is used. Luke chapter 11, verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? So in other words, here's what he said. If someone comes up to you and you're his father and he asks you a bread, do you really think you're going to give him a stone? No. What are you going to give him? Bread. All right. You say, well, where does that prove what you're saying? Well, look at the next phrase. Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish? Give him a serpent. In other words, instead of a fish, are you going to give him a serpent? Well, the, it's, it's obviously the answer is rhetorical. No, absolutely not. You're going to give him a fish. So now take that back to, to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. For the joy, instead of the joy that was forever before him, in other words, the joy of the heavenly honor and worship and praise and glory and majesty. The joy of being in the heavenly bliss and always being 
absolutely at all times, expressing the fullness of God's glory. And instead of that joy, he laid it aside. And what did he lay it aside for? To despise the shame and endure the cross. Let me ask you a question. Why? Because it's the only way you could be redeemed. So here's the application. Let this mind be in you. At rest in you. Not uncomfortable to you. At rest in you. That was at rest at Christ Jesus. So what joy? What in your life that brings you joy? Are you willing to lay aside? that those around you could see Christ and come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So how did Christ see Christmas before it ever happened? It's laying aside the joy of fully revealing the glory of God Laying aside the joy of nonstop praise and honor and adoration and willingly placing himself as man before a world that would curse him, crucify him, hate him. Want to get rid of him. And you'll crucify to him. You see, that's how Christ saw Christmas. So now, as I said, we look back on what we call Christmas. Do you see it the same as you've always seen it? See, I believe this takes what we saw as Christmas and it lifts it up to a higher place in our hearts. Because it was more than just a man born of a virgin. It was God-man that laid aside the joy and the honor of heaven for the wretched hatred of man that in turn the men that hated him the most he could yell Father forgive them for they know not what they do. So what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, is to let him root out every aspect of self that he can root out on this side of heaven.
Because that's the only way unity will be reality. So here's your invitation. And by the way, I just want to say this. This is just the introduction for tonight. I don't want you to miss tonight. Because I'm going to share some things tonight that God's let me see. It's absolutely changed my whole view of the, of the death of Christ. But here's the invitation. Do you know this Jesus that we just talked about? Not the Jesus of your vivid imagination that just gives you a ticket to get you to heaven. but the Jesus who came alive inside of you that you would never, ever be the same. To conform you and to shape you into his image, into his likeness, and into his way of thinking. Has that ever happened to you? Second question. You say, preacher, yes, that's happened to me. Then are you willing to allow the Father the freedom to chip mold away from you any thinking that's not like the thinking that rested in the Lord? Are you willing to let him chip away self-promotion, self-assertedness, self-determination, self-protection, self-exaltation? Are you willing to let him Romans 12, 2 says that you would not be conformed by this world but transformed by the renewing of your mind how you think. Are you willing to let him root out whatever would be contrary to the thinking that rested in the Lord Jesus? Are you willing to let him bring you to the place that the only way you have rest is when you begin to think like he thinks? Father, I come to you today and I thank you for your holy, precious, and mighty word. Father, I pray this morning that you've given us a fresh view from the eyes of your Son, from your eyes. Really, what Christmas meant as you looked forward to that moment in Bethlehem
in a manger. When our Lord would lay aside a heavenly honor, the privilege of revealing your fullness of your glory and allow Himself to be veiled in flesh. And as a reward of His willingness to do that, He knew all he would receive for 33 and a half years was contempt and hatred and a cruel Roman death. Father, I wonder this morning if there's anybody in here that really and truly To think in this way is so foreign to them. Because maybe the example that we've studied in Christ is not the life that they know in this world. But Father, for us that truly know You, Are we really willing to let you conform us to be at rest in this vein of thinking? Father, if we're truly saved, we will be willing. So work it in us, I pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's children said...